0: We welcome you. Part two in our series, Seconds After You Die. We're studying what the Bible says. What does the Bible say happens to us? Seconds after we die. In message number one that we studied, entitled Dust to Dust, we talked about what happens to us physically seconds after we die. We studied five realities That all of us will experience physically seconds after we die. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, we said, For dust you are, and dust you will return. That's what the Bible says. Dust you are. Physical you are. And you will return to a physical moment as well. Dust to dust. Here's the question we're going to study this morning. What happens to us spiritually when we die physically. Ecclesiastes 12.7 says, and the dust returns to the ground it came from. Yes, we studied that. And the Spirit returns to the God who gave it. So here we see there's an eternal part of us as well, a spiritual part of us. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He is also set, He is being God, eternity." into the hearts of men see the Bible declares categorically that we are yes physical dust but we are also spiritual we are eternal beings and there is actually a voice within every single person that tells us internally that we are spiritual eternal beings who will live forever some people they they try to suppress this truth But trying to suppress this truth that we are eternal or that we are part spiritual as well is really a denial of your humanity, that you are made in the very image of God. Statistics alone point to the fact that we are part spiritual. We know we're physical. We see that. We feel that. We also feel the fact that we are spiritual unless we try to suppress that and deny it. But 80% of Americans believe in some form of life after death. 80%, 8 out of 10. If you study every civilization in the history of the world, it has embraced a particular belief or conviction about the afterlife. And one of the things you realize when you study all the convictions that various civilizations have had about the afterlife is that they are often in conflict. And what does that tell us? Logic tells us they can't all be true. All these conflicting beliefs about the afterlife, if they're conflicting, they cannot all be true. In other words, there are a lot of myths out there when it comes to what people believe about the afterlife. So this morning, I've titled the message, as you can see, Mythbusters. So, I wonder how many of you have actually seen the TV show Mythbusters? How many of you have seen that show? A lot of us have, okay? It's a show featuring two scientists who put various myths to scientific tests to confirm either that the myth is just a myth or to show that the myth is actually true, in which case it would cease to be a myth and the myth would then be busted, okay? So they have all these episodes that are really quite humorous when you think about it. Uh, Like, can water dripping on your head really drive you nuts? Yep, it can. Are elephants really afraid of mice? Yes, they are. If you drive angry, will you use more gas? Yes. Can you literally slap sense into someone? Yep, you can. Can you imagine that myth buster? Okay, who wants to get slapped? I want to be the guy that slaps, you know? I mean, that must have been hilarious. But more reliable than, you know, science is biblical revelation when it comes to exposing a myth. The Bible tells us what is true and what is not true about the afterlife. This is reality. More than science, the word of God transcends it all. This is the truth. John 17, 17 says, thy word is truth. And what the Bible teaches about the afterlife is not confusing. This is not a difficult series for me to prepare. It's absolutely clear. It's just a matter of, okay, of all the scripture that is there about the afterlife, which ones am I going to teach on because I only have so much time? But this morning, before we get into detail about what the Bible teaches regarding the afterlife, I have to take on the myths that are out there. And so we wanna study this morning six of the most common believed myths about the afterlife. Now, all of the myths we're gonna study this morning are believed by millions and some by billions of people. Just because a lot of people believe something doesn't mean it's true. What's true is what the Bible says is true. This is our standard of truth. How do we know something's a myth? The Bible doesn't teach it as truth. It's as simple as that. This is God's revelation. So we're going to jump right into these myths. Let's begin the discussion. Myth number one that's believed by a lot of people, reincarnation. Who believes in reincarnation? Well, Hindus primarily And that really results in 1.1 billion people have believed this, and they've done so for the last 3,000 years. Now, what is reincarnation? Let me give you a definition. The afterlife is a continuous cycle of births and deaths. So think of a cycle. You're born, you die. You're born, you die. You're born, you die. According to Hinduism, not only is there life after death, but there is also life before birth. The life you are living now is an intermediate stage in the long procession of lives. In each case, your body deteriorates when you die, but your soul lives on, each time reinstalled into a new body. The location of your soul for all eternity remains on earth in various bodies. Hindus believe that each life in the succession of various lives is connected to the next one, not only by a single soul, which Hinduism embraces, the reality of a soul, but also by the cosmic law known as karma. Karma is the universal moral law of cause and effect. That is, you get what you deserve or what you earn. So your existence in your present state, your present body, is the effect of your actions in the previous life. So people who are miserable now Must have done something terrible in their previous existence. People who are in a favorable standing now did something good in their previous life. By living well in your current state, your current body, you can improve your future prospects. Now, we have to ask ourselves, is reincarnation, is it the truth or is it a myth? What does the Bible teach about reincarnation? The Bible does not teach a cycle of births and deaths that goes on for thousands of years. The Bible does not teach that; it's nowhere found in Scripture. Hebrews chapter nine, verse twenty-seven is the most simple verse that that speaks to this. Man is destined to die once, and after that, to face the judgment. The Bible says, "You die once; it's not a cycle." When I was in Nepal just about a year ago, and Nepal is 80% Hindu, I visited this deaf and blind center. And here's a picture of some of the kids that Tracy and I went in and spoke to. And uh, these kids were all either deaf or blind. And my favorite moment was to tell each of those children or the adults that were there that they have a personal creator that made them. And I quoted Psalm 139 verses 13 to 14 that says, You, speaking of God, not karma, you. Because they've been told it's karma. They've been told that it's because of their previous life that they have a cursed life now. You, not karma, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It was wonderful to share with this truth to these dear children. Reincarnation, according to the Bible, is an absolute and total and complete myth. You die once, and then you face the judgments. There is a personal God that creates. There is not a system of these cycles that go on and on. Let's go to myth number two, and it's this. It's nirvana. Now, nirvana, who believes in nirvana? Buddhists. 448 million people for the last 2,500 years. Now what is Nirvana or Buddhism? The afterlife is a cycle of births and deaths similar to Hinduism, hopefully though, leading to Nirvana. Now Buddhism adapted its notions of the afterlife from Hinduism. Gautama Siddhartha, the founder of Buddhism, was born in India in 563 BC. He was raised a Hindu, but Buddhism modified its version of reincarnation. In Buddhism, people go through a cycle of births and deaths, but these births and deaths may not even happen on earth. Uh, They believe in other universes. Buddhism believes in multiple worlds. While Buddhism holds to a casual connection between the lives produced by karma, one is not the same person from one life to the next. In Buddhism. The actions of my previous life helped explain my current circumstances, but those actions were not committed by the same person. In Buddhism, Buddhists reject the idea that people have individual souls. Buddhists believe in the concept of the soul or I. They believe that's an illusion. Actually, the concept of the self is the problem that plagues humanity from which all suffering arises. The goal of Buddhism is enlightenment, to eliminate all desire for cravings. And in this way, you escape suffering. And the Eightfold Path of Buddhism is a system to free Buddhists from desiring anything and eventually achieving non-existence through meditation. That's why they're into meditation. The whole point is literally to achieve non-existence. The ultimate goal is nirvana which literally means blowing out. It's like you are a candle, and the goal is to blow yourself out of existence. And when that happens, you reach nirvana. Now, there are various sects of Buddhism. I don't have time to go into those. Some believe that nirvana is a state of existence. Others believe it's a literal, physical place, a perfect bliss for the enlightened. Nepali Buddhists, where I just visited a year ago, believe. Part of the path toward enlightenment involves placing your body, once you die, on Mount Everest, and there are bodies all over Mount Everest, and you place your body there at death, and you let the birds eat your flesh and carry your flesh to nirvana. And there are thousands of Buddhists that truly believe this. Now, is nirvana truth or a myth? Is the afterlife a cycle of births and deaths, hopefully leading to a place or a state known as nirvana. Again, we have to look to the Bible. What does the Bible say? And the Bible does not teach a cycle of births and deaths leading to a place called nirvana. Again, we go to Hebrews 9.27. There are other scriptures, but nothing is as clear. Man is destined to die once. It's not a cycle. And after that, you face the judgment. Additionally, the Bible does not teach a works salvation, which is all that Buddhism lifts up. Salvation is not earned by doing good works or following some eightfold path that, that some religious guru spells out. And this is the difference between Christianity and man's religions. There are thousands of religions that man has created. Christianity is not a religion. Religion is man's attempt to reach God through rituals, sacrifices, traditions, and good works. Christianity is God reaching out to us in the form of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's it's God extending to us His hand, and it's it's us reaching up to God, taking His hand by faith, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. Romans 3.28 says, a man is justified by faith, apart from observing the law, or any law, or any religious tradition. Furthermore, the Bible does not teach that if we place our dead body on Mount Everest, the birds are going to bring us to nirvana. The Bible speaks about this regarding our body, Philippians 3.20. We eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is who we wait not wait for, not birds, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that He will be like His glorious body. We will look at that in detail in message four in this series. But nirvana, according to the Bible, is an absolute myth. Let me give you the third myth, and it's this, pleasure. Who believes in this is the state or where the afterlife will be uh, the experience? Well, 1.7 billion Muslims believe this. What is this defined as? The afterlife is eternal pleasure for good Muslims. Now, Islam was founded in Mecca, Saudi Arabia, by Muhammad. 570 to 632 A.D., Muhammad is considered by Muslims to be the greatest man who ever lived, and he's the last of more than 124,000 messengers sent by Allah to this planet to share the way. The teachings of Islam are found in the Quran. The Quran rejects the idea or the belief of redemption. Islam teaches there is no need uh, for Uh, God to redeem humanity because sin is paid for by you personally. Every Muslim is his own redeemer. Each person will be judged according to their deeds before Allah. If according to Allah, you are not worthy, you are sent to hell. If according to Allah, you are judged to have lived a good life as a good Muslim, the afterlife includes a paradise that provides riches and and a garden populated with maidens designed by Allah to provide sexual pleasure for righteous men. Now let me give you a couple uh, books here I want to quote right now. First is from John MacArthur in his book, Terrorism, Jihad, and the Bible. And uh, I just want just, to, just, just fascinating a couple quotes here. And uh, writes this, Muslims believe in a day of judgment. All the dead will be raised to stand trial before Allah, and they will be judged according to their works. It is hoped by most Muslims that if a person follows Islam and does enough good deeds to outweigh the bad, Allah may allow such a person to enter paradise rather than sending that person to hell. But there are no guarantees of this. One's ultimate destiny is subject solely to the will of Allah. In Islam, there is no atonement for sin or promise of forgiveness and no assurance of any kind except for those who die in jihad. Those people, martyrs, are guaranteed eternal life in paradise. So why do you think there's so much desire to be a jihadist? You go to heaven. This is what Islam teaches. No Muslim can know for sure where he's going in the afterlife. Everyone's destiny is decided by Allah through an absolute arbitrary kind of determinism. Most Muslims cling to the hope that good works might weigh heavily on all the scales of justice. But killing and being killed in jihad is the only sure pathway to heaven. Another excellent book that I'd highly recommend, Erwin Lutzer, The Cross in the Shadow of the Crescent, in my opinion, is a must-read if you want to understand Islam. And I want to just kind of read a little bit here, if I could, Uh, from this, which is a fascinating quote, again, about their view, Islamic view, of the afterlife. Islamic scholar Sheikh Yusuf al qardawi who said, uh, those who die for Allah, it's not suicide, it is martyrdom in the name of God. The way in which hijacker Muhammad Atta prepared himself and his colleagues the night before 9-11 gives us insight into his understanding of the Quran and life be and life beyond. The evening he wrote a letter titled The Last Night, handwritten in Arabic. He pre- prepared himself for his arrival in heaven and urged his fellow hijackers to do the same. The time between you and your marriage in heaven is very short, he wrote. Shave excess hair from your body and wear cologne shower. Do not leave your apartment unless you have performed ablution. Know that the gardens of paradise are waiting for you in all of their beauty, and the women of paradise are waiting, calling out, Come hither, friend of God. They have dressed their most beautiful clothing. And what was Atta expecting? A wonderful entrance into paradise and marriage to 72 virgins available for his pleasure for all eternity. The Quran describes these virgins as follows. These are verses in the Quran. Voluptuous women of equal age, fair women with beautiful, big, and lustrous eyes, maidens chaste, restraining their glances, whom no man has ever touched. Wow. Pleasure. That's what the life in the future is. What does the Bible teach? Is there any good work that can tip the scales and somehow bring us into a good standing with God and thus usher us into paradise? Galatians 2.16, there are hundreds of verses that talk about this. We know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Is it possible to know that you're going to heaven? Islam says you can't know. What does the Bible say? 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know absolutely for sure that you have eternal life. And by the way, where will paradise be... A, a place of absolute sexual pleasure. What does the Bible say? Mark chapter 12, verse 25. Then, he, when the dead rise, and we will rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. The Islamic concept of eternal pleasure, according to the Bible, is an absolute and total myth. Let's go to the fourth myth that is believed by millions, and it's this nothing is what will take place in the afterlife. Who believes this? Atheists, various groups, millions of people. The afterlife, it's a fable. There's nothing there. It's dust to dust. You don't go on in existence. This belief that there is no form of afterlife is embraced actively or passively by millions of atheists, scientists, various groups, millions of individuals, here in the United States as well. Owen Flanagan, philosopher, said this, once we die, we are gone. As for the soul, well, science has looked and looked and found nothing like a soul inside of us. Reductive materialism, which is what is embraced by so many in the United States, is the philosophy that material reality is the only reality. Everything ultimately reduces to material reality. Dust to dust happens at death and that's it there is no soul there is no spirit we live in a closed universe this is what is taught on colleges campuses all throughout our nation a closed universe reductive materialism it's a physical world and nothing else Richard Dawkins noted atheist declared on Bill Maher's TV show that he wants to have his own death videotaped why He doesn't want religious believers spreading rumors that he somehow converted on his deathbed to Christianity. He wants to make sure there is a record that shows he did not. Dawkins staunchly believes there is no God and when you die, that is it. Scientology teaches that hell is a myth and heaven is a false dream. Scientologists believe in nothing. Christian science teaches that death isn't even real and heaven and hell are states of the mind, another form of nothing embraced by millions in our own country. Seventh-day Adventists teach the doctrine of annihilationism, the belief that God is too loving to send people to hell. Even if someone rejects salvation through faith in Jesus, God won't send that person to hell. God will just annihilate that person, take that person out of existence. There are millions of Who believe this the problem with believing any of these theories that there is nothing after we die is that the bible just doesn't teach that it's just not taught in the bible if you're gambling that there will be nothing after you die according to god in the bible you will lose that bet and you are in the greatest shock for your life the bible teaches that every person is an eternal being made in the very image of god and every single person will live for all eternity every person will experience a resurrection and be placed into a body that will be suited for all eternity. Every human being. We will study this in detail next Sunday and the following Sunday. Look what Daniel. Chapter 12, verse 2 says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. That scripture does not sound like nothing will happen after death. John chapter 5, verse 28, a time is coming when all would you underline all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out those who have done good will rise to live and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned that scripture does not seem like nothing will happen after death Psalm 14 verse 1 the fool has said in his heart there is no God noted atheist Christopher Hitchens who wrote God is not great how religion poisons everything, believe there is no God, and that once you die, that is it. Hitchens died on December 15th, 2011. I wonder what Christopher Hitchens believes about God today. Because he is more alive than ever right now. The concept of nothing is an absolute, total, categorical myth that is believed by millions. Wow, wake up. Myth number five, everyone, everyone goes to heaven. Who believes in this? Various groups and millions of people. What is this belief? The afterlife is for everyone. Everyone goes to heaven. How many times? This is what is most prominently believed by Americans. Biggest myth believed by Americans. How many times have you been at a funeral? and heard someone get up and talk about the deceased. doesn't even matter what that person believed. Well, he or she, they're just in a better place. Wow. Wow. I just read about an article about wealthy drug cartel members who die in Mexico. Did you read this? (laughs) And how they are spending millions of pesos on tombs replete with living rooms, bathrooms, bedrooms, Some even contain air conditioning and Wi-Fi. Why not? Everyone goes to heaven. It's just another form of believing everyone goes. This is also known as the doctrine of universalism, the belief that everyone will eventually go to heaven. The universalist church, for example, teaches this. God loves everyone, therefore all are going to be saved and go to heaven. The unification church founded by Sun Young Moon found in 150 countries today with hundreds of thousands of members members teaches everyone will be saved. Many people today believe God is love, therefore everyone will go to heaven. But people also forget that along with God being a God of love, that God is also a God of justice. What does the Bible teach? 2 Corinthians 1 or 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 and 8. God is just. He will punish those who do not know God. If you do not know God through faith in Jesus Christ, what does the Bible say? He will punish those. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. The problem with the belief that everyone goes to heaven is that the Bible just does not teach that. It's nowhere taught. Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 46, they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life universalism, or the belief that everyone goes to heaven is a flat-out myth. It is not taught in the Bible. Myth number six. And these are the six just most common believed myths. That's why I've had to reduce it to the six most believed myths in the history of humanity. And number six is purgatory. One billion people, Catholics, believe this. What's purgatory? The afterlife has a holding place where those destined for heaven pay for their sins, receive cleansing, and achieve the holiness necessary to eventually enter heaven. I know it's crazy, but there are, mil- there are millions of people that believe this. I'm not even going to spend a lot of time here discussing purgatory because there is not even remotely anywhere in the scriptures where this is even remotely taught but I bring it up because so many people embrace it. What does the Bible teach? Will you go you know, after you die to some holding place where you will then be punished for your sins and somehow earn this cleansing to somehow then gain you a ticket to heaven? No, Jesus' death on the cross paid the full penalty for your sins. Isaiah 53, verse five. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus suffered for our sins on that cross so we could be completely and totally delivered from sufferings, from the sufferings that our sin deserve. Second Corinthians 5.21, God made him, that's Jesus, would you underline him, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, when we believe on Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are immediately declared by God to be cleansed, purified, righteous, forgiven, redeemed, reconciled, and holy. Purgatory, according to the Bible, is a complete and total myth that completely undercuts the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross for the sins of all people who would believe on Him. You say, Pastor, what does the Bible teach then? What is the truth about what we will experience seconds after we die? Watch me closely. None of these six myths will you experience at all seconds after you die. None of them. They're all false. But we had to take them on because they are believed and embraced by millions of people in the United States and around the world. You want a full answer to what we're going to experience seconds after we die. Be here next Sunday and the Sunday after. Messages three and four will answer that in great detail. But today, Mythbusters. So what have we learned? We've learned this. According to the Bible, reincarnation, a myth. Nirvana, a myth. Pleasure, sexual pleasure, forevermore, a myth. Nothing, there will be nothing after we die, a myth. Everyone goes to heaven, a myth. Purgatory, a myth. And what I want you to do right now is this. I want you to take some time at your tables and discuss a question. And then I want to give you an incredible, fascinating introduction to what we're going to talk about next week and the week after. But first, I want to give you a moment to discuss this question at your tables or if you're watching this on video in your small group. Of the six common believed myths about the afterlife, which one do you most often encounter? Talk about that if you would. Okay, so this morning we studied these mythbusters. okay? Six of the most common believed myths that are believed about the afterlife. I know for a lot of us, we're just like, we can't believe that people believe this, and yet they do. So we studied the myths of reincarnation, nirvana, pleasure, nothing, everyone, purgatory. Hopefully, you found this study helpful. But I also know that some of you are here and the Lord is speaking to you because you're like, you came in here believing that, and and I recognize that. And I'm glad you're here or I'm glad you're watching this online or whatever. Let God speak to you. Now I want to conclude in a a real fascinating way. I want to examine, uh, in the time we have left, the current trends of science and what science says about the afterlife. Now I'm not a scientist but I read science and I'm intrigued by science. And to accomplish what I want to do, I want to read some quotes from Dinesh D'Souza's book, Life After Death, The Evidence. Highly recommend this book. This book presents a reasoned, scientifically based case that life after death is more than possible, it is highly probable, and that this is being discovered by science. And D'Souza utilizes the latest discoveries in physics, neuroscience, and biology to build a credible case for life after death. And this is really gonna bleed into what we're gonna get into the next two Sundays. I'm gonna read just a few quotes from his chapter entitled, The Physics of Immortality, Multiple Universes and Unseen Realms. And what these quotes are gonna do is they're gonna provide a great kind of wrap up of today's message, but even more importantly, they're gonna provide a great tease for what we're going to talk about in the next two messages, namely heaven and hell. Please understand, this is just going to be a tease. I can't read to you the entire chapter of what we're going to look at. You can get the book, but I want to give you some highlights, okay? So get ready to have your, your mind uh, stretched and your spirit really fired up. Because when I read this, I just couldn't put it down. I read the book in like two days. Atheists say the religious concept of eternity presumes the existence of exotic locales like heaven and hell. The problem is that we live in a physical universe and those alternative realms seem to nowhere exist. New discoveries in physics provide scenarios under which matter can survive with different properties in realms other than our universe. Fantastic though it sounds, modern physics has legitimated the possibility of the afterlife. In Christianity, heaven and hell are eternal realms, not only beyond the universe, but also beyond space and time. So this concept needs realms or universes without space or time. The Abrahamic religions also affirm that after a final judgment, we will all possess reconstituted bodies that are material in some sense and yet imperishable. For this to happen, matter must be capable of qualities that are radically different from any matter that we have already experienced. What does modern physics say about all this? Are such things even possible and does it make sense to believe in them? Then he kind of goes into this section, and he about this transition that's taking place in science from classical to modern physics, involving a complete reformulation of the laws of space and time and matter as they had been previously understood. He takes on Einstein's theories of special and general relativity and the laws of quantum mechanics. He talks about Einstein's discovery about space and time. Space and time are not absolutes but are relative to each other. Depending on how each of us is moving, you have your space and time and I have mine. This is accepted physics. If you uh, could travel at a speed of light, uh, your clock would stop ticking. Again, not because clocks break down at high speeds but because time itself would have stopped for you. Then he talks about quantum mechanics. Then he says this. This idea of multiple dimensions is part of a powerful new approach to physics called string theory. Many scientists regard string theory as the best prospect for unifying Einstein's Einstein's relativity with quantum mechanics. In its most famous form, so-called M-theory, scientists tell us that Reality is divided not into four, but rather 11 dimensions, 10 of space and one of time. We have 10 dimensions of space, is what science is saying. So what are the other dimensions? Well, string theorists say they are hidden dimensions somehow positioned so that they are invisible and inaccessible to us. They're there, we just can't access them. While we can't see them, they help to account for the things that we do see. As physicist Lisa Randall puts it, we are in this three-dimensional flatland. Our world is stuck in this three-dimensional universe, although extra dimensions exist. So we live on a three-dimensional slice of a higher dimensional world. This is what science is saying. Most of what we call matter is actually empty space. Press down on the table. I'd like you to do this. I'd like you to press down on that table in front of you. What you feel is solid and pushing back, but in fact, there is virtually nothing there. And this is what science is telling us. How do physicists know this? By probing the structure of the atom. The nucleus of the atom contains almost its entire mass, and yet the nucleus is only a tiny fraction of the size of the atom. You can envision the nucleus as a baseball in the center of Wrigley Field, and that would give you some idea of the proportions we're talking about. Beyond the nucleus, there is mostly nothing except for a few electrons. Probe the nucleus further, and you'll find that it is made up of quarks. So the atom is a lot of empty space with a few quarks and electrons. But no one has ever seen a quark or an electron. Their properties are inferred from complex experiments. Quarks and electrons are often pictured as tiny objects, but they are better understood as mathematical concepts or probability distributions. Bottom line, we think of matter as solid, massy stuff, but for the most part, there's nothing there. How awkward it must be for materialists who assert that everything is made up of matter and have to admit this. Hang on. So how much of all matter and energy in the universe is dark matter and dark energy? The figure is astounding, 95%. Ordinary matter and energy make up a mere 5% of all the matter and energy in the universe. I'm not sure if you're putting this together right now, but the bottom line of what's being said here is this, all matter that we see and touch, the table, the stars, everything, everything, all matter that we experience in this dimension of life is only 5% of what is actually there. 95% of all matter exists in potentially 10 other different dimensions. So when Jesus said the kingdom is amongst you, what was he saying? Could heaven be right in front of us? We just cannot apprehend it with our limited space and time experience. It's phenomenal what science is saying. Let me read further here what he's saying to try to wrap it up in his own words. He says this, scenarios for life after death are entirely consistent with respectable science. In fact, they stand proudly alongside the most important and cutting-edge ideas and discoveries, from relativity to quantum mechanics to dark matter to multiple universes. 95% of all we experience is dark matter. What is there? We don't know it's there. Atheists can no longer ridicule, as unscientific, the idea of eternal places beyond time or of invisible matter that isn't like our matter, or of realms that have their own laws and their own modes of being. That's heaven! That's heaven! Heaven now becomes a real possibility under the existing diversity of laws that govern multiple universes. Many physicists started down this intellectual path to avoid having to encounter God. In the process, they mapped out plausible scenarios for afterlife realms like heaven and hell. (laughs) Great, I love it. Modern science has proven itself not the foe of religious believers, but an unexpected ally. Let's pray. Thank you Lord for your word. Thank you that your word is our greatest ally when it comes to understanding what happens seconds after we die. But it's exciting when science begins to catch up with the Bible. I pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to anyone here or anyone listening that's caught up in any of the myths that we've studied today about the afterlife. And millions of people are caught up in these myths. I pray that you would bring people to the truth so they can live forever with you seconds after they die in the glory of heaven that science is even beginning to talk about and apprehend. How exciting. Thank you, Lord, for our time. I pray your blessing on each one. All God's people said?